0: You're listening to the Medical School HQ podcast online at medicalschoolhq.net, session number 10. Hello and welcome back to another session here at the Medical School HQ podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Gray, and we are the podcast about medical school. From the pre-med process through residency, we hope to take your knowledge of becoming a physician to the next level. I'm excited about today's podcast for two reasons. Number one, we have an excellent guest interview uh, for you guys today. And number two, this is our 10th podcast. And in the podcast world, if you make it to number 10, there's a good chance that you're going to go on to a successful and long podcast career. So I'm excited... That We're bringing you 10 podcasts. I'm excited to bring you even more in the future. I hope you guys are enjoying them. We're up over about 1300 downloads. So I know people are out there listening. If you haven't yet, go into iTunes and give us a rating or review. Let us know what you think. Uh, Five stars would be great. And that way other people can find us and start listening to us as well. So let's get on to the interview. I have a great interview today. I have Dr. Victoria Rosner. She is an associate dean and the general studies coordinator of academic affairs at Columbia University's post program. Dr. Rosner leads the pre-medical advising team in support of post-bac pre-med students. She also advises a small number of post-bac pre-med students. We began the interview by talking about where most of these post-bac pre-med students come from.
1: Well, most of our students, not all, but a lot of our students go, to, you know, go, go into their undergraduate educations thinking that they're not going to be doctors, that in fact they're going to do something else. Um, or sometimes they want to be doctors, but they think that for whatever reason they can't. It's not a path that's available to them. Um, so it's only later that they come to realize that they have this passion and vocation for medicine. Uh, and that's really, you know, the origin of a program like ours of a post program.
0: And Columbia's, Columbia was the 1st postback program ever. Am I correct?
1: Yes, that's right. We're the oldest program in the country and I believe we're also the largest.
0: Wow. And how big are your classes?
1: Well, the, you mean the classes within the postback program? Yeah. You no, know, we don't really uh, it's it's hard to define a particular class because students go through the program at different rates, but if you were to ask me how many students are in the program altogether, uh, you know, it's got to be close to 500.
0: Okay. So that, that
1: includes that includes students who are in their application year who are not actively taking courses but who are working their way through the application process to medical school.
0: Okay. Then I'll get into uh your program in a little bit, mm-hmm. but the you had mentioned a lot of the students are people that really didn't know they wanted to be physicians starting off. Is that the majority of your students? I, I know if you if you look at the AMC, they have their big database of post-bac programs, mm-hmm. and they're mm-hmm. classified as career changers or people that want to increase their undergraduate grades, um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. having taken science courses before. Do do you aim towards one of those groups?
1: Yes, we focus exclusively on the career changers. Um, we don't. We most of our students have not taken any science classes before. Some of us, some of them, have taken a few, but for the most part, we're looking at students who have had a shift in their sense of what they want to do with their lives, which is a very exciting and interesting population of students to be working with. Because they're really people who, you know, are thinking very seriously about trying to construct a meaningful future for themselves.
0: And they're probably very driven as well.
1: They are extremely driven. They are extremely bright. They are highly motivated. Um, they're really a- an incredible group. I have so much regard and respect for the students in this program because they have put everything on the line. Many of them have turned away from in finance, in the arts, in nonprofit work, in law, um, some you know, a number of them have previous graduate degrees and they realize, you know what? my path is to be a healer this is what i need to dedicate my life to doing and they put everything else aside you know they have they often they have families they have responsibilities you know these are not 18 year olds these are grown ups and they give themselves over to this incredibly rigorous and demanding program so you have to i think respect that commitment
0: yeah when you have applicants coming in and i'm sure you have discussions with them people that are solid in their career making decent money mm-hmm. to give that up for the postback program and then for 4 years of medical school and then residency mm-hmm. it, if you do the math i mean it's <laughs> it's probably about a million dollar swing in there somewhere yes r- roughly
1: well that's and that's why it comes as no surprise that the students in our program for the most part are not going into medicine it's not a fi- it's not a financial decision for them it's a passion decision um, and you know along with that we notice that many 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 of our students are going into medicine for altruistic reasons we have an extremely strong and vibrant student organization called social justice medicine you know all of our students are involved in volunteering in a variety of clinical and research settings um these are not i mean these these are students who are going into medicine because they want to make the world a better place and they are already and many of them are already engaged in that kind of work it's really an amazing amazing thing
0: that's awesome it's I, incredible <laughs> i i wish more people would take some time off and 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 be more non traditional. I think medicine as a whole would benefit from that.
1: Well, I think one of the reasons that our students are so successful in the application process to medical school is that, you know, m- medical school deans of admissions are happy to have students who are a little bit more seasoned, who they know have thought carefully about the decision to commit themselves to an extremely demanding career, you know, and who bring a certain level of maturity and reflection to the process. Not that you can't find that in a traditional undergraduate, but it's, you know, it's common in post-bac students.
0: Yeah. What would you say, um, Actually, I'll get to that later. What's about an average age for your applicants?
1: Um, the average age of our students is about twenty-seven.
0: Okay, so but significantly within that, older.
1: Within that, there's a there's you know we have students who are a great deal older than that, and we have some students who are to transition directly out of their undergraduate work. But an average would be twenty-seven.
0: Okay, what's the oldest you've seen go through your program?
1: Oh my goodness, I you know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I could tell you off the top of my head, but, you okay. know, they're qualified students and they have a good reason for being here. We want to work with them. Yeah. You know, we don't have, we don't practice age discrimination in this program. Quite yeah. the contrary.
0: Yeah. And I think the, the older, the better, actually. <laughs> um, e- there's a great article in the New York Times back in April uh, that talked about one of your students um, going through. And they they talked a lot about postback programs as a whole and how they're very popular. And I think now there there are 140. I looked yesterday in the AAMC postback search.
1: Oh my goodness!
0: Why why are they becoming so popular?
1: Well, you know, with your broad view of, you know, pre-medical students nationally, you might be in a better position to answer that than I would. From my perspective, I would say that, you know, students have a lot of things that they want to do with their undergraduate careers. And they often see that if they're going to liberal arts colleges, they might not see that as um, a time to focus on vocational education. You know, they might prefer to defer that part of their training um, and, you know, major in whatever it is, Slavic studies or history um, or anthropology, feeling that that will only enrich um, their practice as physicians. And then again, there are students who change careers. You know, there's it's a tough thing to have to decide what you're going to do for the rest of your life when you're 19 years old.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Do you think that the economy has any role in that?
1: You know, it's very hard to say. We're always trying to figure out if there's some relationship between the economy and post bag programs. And I, I, I'm just, I'm not convinced that you can draw any kind of
0: really straight line.
1: I don't know. Do you, do you think so?
0: Uh, my gut, without any data behind the answer, <laughs> my gut says yes. Uh huh. Being a physician is kind of a... It's a
1: recession-proof career. Uh, it is
0: a recession-proof career, and yeah. you hear every day in the news that Obamacare and, and our healthcare system is going to mm-hmm. be short X number of physicians, and um, you're not making the big bucks that you used to make, but you live comfortably, and um, mm-hmm. it, it's, it's a choice I think many people make um, for that reason.
1: Um, you know, there is a school of thought that says that when there's a recession, people go to graduate school and they hang out and they try to wait out downturns in the economy. But I have to I've certainly never seen a student come into my office and give that as their reason for coming to the post program. There are for our students, their relationship to medicine is intensely, intensely personal. You know, some of them have seen a family member go through a very serious medical crisis, and that is what has inspired them to to change their path. Some of them have wanted to be doctors all their lives but have never been in a financial position to pursue the profession. And finally, you know, their hour has come. These are the kinds of things we hear. Not so much, oh, well, it's a bad economy, so I'll be a doctor.
0: Yeah, it's uh it's interesting i I wonder and I kind of like to play Deadville's advocate sometimes I wonder sure. uh, obviously they want to put their best foot forward in the on the application and during the interview process, but nobody will ever know if, what their true um, intentions are but I think it's when you get to a program um, as esteemed as yours, I think you are getting the best of the best that that truly want to go through for the The right purposes.
1: Our our students are so extraordinary, and they bring such an incredible range of interests to their studies. I always say at orientation that I could take any given incoming class of Columbia postbac students, and you know, found a small nation because we kind of have one of everything. We have opera singers, we have chefs, we have physical therapists, you know, we have lawyers. We have, you know, people who are in construction. I mean, we have everything. Um, so it's an extremely diverse and interesting group.
0: Wow! I want to focus on you for a little bit, and not necessarily for you, but as a your premed advisor. And your bio says uh, you lead the premedical advising team uh, uh-huh. for postback premed students. But when yes. you when you look at your background <laughs> how do, I mean you're you teach graduate and undergraduate courses in late 19th and early 20th century literature and culture.
1: Yes, I'm also an English professor. So, I so, wear I wear many hats.
0: And and it goes back to my question or not my question but my statement earlier. I don't think I made that statement earlier here, but pre-med advising as a whole, I I wonder how people get into pre-med advising. How did you end up where you are?
1: Well, um, for me, um, I was actually an undergraduate and a graduate student at Columbia. And as a graduate student, I, you know, as a graduate student, as part of your, as a PhD student, as part of your training, you begin teaching classes at the university. You teach in English, uh, which is my discipline, you teach composition and introductory literature classes. And it was at that point that I was exposed for the first time to the School of General Studies, which is um, where the postbac program at Columbia is housed. So the School of General Studies is a really a very unique college um, on the undergraduate national scene in, you know, in the United States, insofar as we are a college for non-traditional students. We, you know, all of our students have had breaks in their education. You know, many of them started careers before deciding that they did in fact want to pursue a college degree. We have a large number of student veterans who, you know, serve the country and then decide, you know, when they're done with their, with their service, it's time for them to get an education. And you can see how the post program obviously fits into the School of General Studies because we're a program for, you know, non-traditional pre-medical students. But the point is that for me as a graduate student, I started teaching students from the School of General Studies and I was immediately sort of, I fell in love with the school. I went to Columbia College, which is Columbia's traditional college. But at the School of General Studies, I found this you know this this almost this social experiment we are the only college like this in the Ivy League you know we are the destination for non-traditional students who want to have a rigorous elite education where they are in the same classes you know to, you know with the same professors and the same curricula as traditional students so long story short i loved teaching these students and you know when i had the opportunity to make my career you know, advising these students, you know, making policy for the school, I leapt at it. I think it's an incredible population, you know, that is really transformative and um very much the direction of where I think American higher education is going.
0: Okay. Is <laughs> is there a a pre med advising body out there? For, that mean, that pre med advisors get information from and this is more for my own oh yes. knowledge
1: yes yes there's a national association for pre medical advisors okay my you know we attend the conference you know i have a there are four full time advisors uh, in the program in addition to a range of people at the school of general studies who offer support services to post bacc students and so the pre med advisors you know we're all active in that organization
0: okay very cool yeah you had mentioned earlier that it's kind of hard to put a number on each of your classes because they're kind of in different parts of their studies. Yes. Is, is there a kind of year-round admission process there? Are they starting at the same time and then going at their own pace? How does that work?
1: Most of our students come in in the fall term. You know, they start in, in September. Um, we do offer a, a, an accelerated track through the postback program, and those students begin their work in January. So they spend um, three, sem- three traditional semesters and a summer term studying, um, whereas the students who come in, in September spend four traditional academic semesters, fall, spring, fall, spring.
0: Okay, so a year and a half versus two years.
1: Yeah. And but people sometimes take longer. You know, a number of our students are working full time while they're going to school. And those students may choose to take a couple of classes a semester um, in the first stage of the program. In the second half of the program, we require that students attend full time.
0: And why is that?
1: Because we think it's important for their applications to be able to demonstrate that they can manage a very serious load of you know, of real science courses to demonstrate to medical schools that they'll be prepared for the full-time curriculum in medical school.
0: Okay, that makes sense. Part of your, I think so. yeah, <laughs> good job. <laughs> but, <laughs> Thank you. Part of part of the, part of the curriculum, uh, actually, part of the application process is showing uh, that you've had experience in the medical field, that you've been out shadowing physicians, and know what it's like on a day-to-day basis. Is that stuff that's built into your curriculum, or do you have um, affiliations set up with physicians to send students out to to hospitals and to clinics?
1: We So um, it's a great question. We require that all students in our program complete a minimum of 120 hours of clinical work during the time that they are enrolled in the program. Um, in order to support them in acquiring that experience, we have... Stand Well, obviously our students have access to the largest municipal hospital system in the United States, but we have a very active and robust um, database of clinical opportunities with new things coming in every week. We post them on the website, students apply. And then we also have standing relationships with um, programs in a number of New York City hospitals where we place large numbers of students. You know, we want students to be able to pursue their own interests. So we will support them in seeking out the perfect opportunity for them or if they're not sure what they want to do, we will help them enroll in, you know, like I said, one of the programs where we maintain standing relationships.
0: Okay. But yeah. we
1: think it's essential that students complement their science studies with, um, you know, real time with patients and getting some exposure to the profession as it's practiced every day.
0: Yeah. And part Partly because again that's what makes a good application, but I think there's a large part that ne- you need to know for yourself if you're going to actually like what you're doing it's It's well and good to say, "Oh, I want to be a doctor," but to actually know what a doctor does every day
1: I then I also think for our students, it is by and large you know one of their favorite parts of the program because it gives real context for them to go to biology class, you know, and learn about you know, the various organic processes, but then to go to the hospital and see how that science translates into, you know, medical research and medical practice.
0: Yeah. Um what percentage of students actually finished the post-bac program?
1: Um we have um Actually, we have a very, very good retention in this program. Um, Our attrition rate is very low, and it's attributable to a number of factors. But, you know, it's a handful of students who leave the program, you know, on a semester-by-semester basis. So the vast majority finish.
0: Okay. What would you say is is there a general theme behind the people that that, um, drop out or don't finish?
1: I would say there are three or four main reasons that we see um, the single biggest one would needs would have to be life gets in the way um, you know a student will have a parent who develops an illness and needs their care or you know they get just life stuff you know they get sick there's an issue with their children they need to relocate because of a partner or you know a, a kind of a kind of life change reason is probably the single biggest reason. Um, sometimes, although you know we work with the students very closely on financing the program, unfortunately, there are sometimes students who um, are not really fin- financially able to finish the program, and they need to transfer to some place that's you know <laughs> less expensive than we are. I guess uh, so. We see a little of that. Sometimes we get students who decide, you know what, they don't want to be doctors. They thought they did, but they really want to do something else. And you know, we are all about helping students find their way, so we don't see that as a bad outcome. We help st- we you know talk to students and counsel them and try to help them figure out what the next step is for them. Okay. Um, and, and then the, the, and then the, you know, there are always a few students who struggle academically in the program and find that this is really not the place for them. So like I said, very low attrition, but that would probably be a good summary of the reasons why someone might leave the program.
0: okay for students that are coming in maybe fresh out of undergraduate like you said yeah. mm-hmm. m- majoring in uh some kind of uh english or some other yeah. weird <laughs> romantic language and you <laughs> a- and they're they're coming in maybe they knew they wanted to be a doctor and they just wanted to get more uh more diverse studies like you had mentioned earlier Transitioning into a science-based curriculum, what kind of struggles are they having?
1: Um, So, you know, I think you can think of it in two different ways. I mean, first of all, there are students who've been out of school for a while and they just need to transition back into being full-time students and, you know, reacquiring that student identity. And the other is, as you mentioned, for students who have really never, taken, you know, they took their science requirements as undergraduates, but past that, they've never done any science study. Um, and we try and we, we do a lot in the post program to support students as they make that transition. You know, we, through our academic resource center, through our post coaching program, we have, you know, whole seminars on how, transferable skills. You know, how do you take the skills you've acquired Um, studying the humanities or the social sciences and put them to work for you um, as a scientist. What is the best way to study for the sciences? You know, how do you get used to doing problem sets to the different modalities of scientific instruction? You know, we have um, people on our academic resource team meeting with the students. We also have successful post bacc students um, who are mentoring current students and giving them advice on how to be successful in a program like this. You know, we, we put these students in through very, very rigorous academic program, but we don't send them out there alone. We give them a lot of support to try and ensure that they're successful with us.
0: Okay. Along the, the way, do you guys offer um, MCAT prep type stuff or are are your classes geared towards MCAT prep?
1: Our classes are very much geared towards MCAT prep, and our faculty, in fact, are just right now doing a pretty serious review to prepare for the advent of MCAT 2015. You know, because we we are going to be seeing some serious changes in the test, and we need to make sure that our students are prepared for it. Um, And then, you know, we also counsel students on strategies for preparing for the MCAT. You know, every student is assigned a dedicated advisor who stays with them through their time in the program um, and who can give them suggestions about preparation methods, timing, when's the best time to take the MCAT, you know, what are some ways to prepare. We host panels where previous students who've been successful with the test come in and share their experiences with current students and talk about, you know, the best ways to prepare and how to supplement what they're getting in the classroom, stuff like that.
0: Okay. Then... They take the MCAT, and now it's application time. Is this Mm -hmm. kind of the period you had mentioned there's a year off or something you had mentioned earlier? Yes,
1: a glide year. And all of our students who don't apply for linkage admission um, have a glide year. Uh, Because as you know, I'm sure the medical school application cycle is lengthy. (laughs) Yes. You know, it takes more than a year from... The time you submit your applications to the time that you you know hopefully matriculate into the school of your choice. Um, so we first of all we offer um, a glide year you know glide year counseling so that we maintain a separate database of glide year opportunities because we really urge students to spend that glide year fruitfully doing something that's related to healthcare, and so we place students in really interesting opportunities, both locally, um, nationally, and internationally. Um, And then, of course, you know, we're working with the students very closely through every stage of the admissions process, um, and writing committee letters in support of their applications.
0: Okay. You had mentioned linkage. Explain what linkage is for people that might not know that.
1: So for students who, for one reason or another, who would like to avoid the glide year or for students who are very, very clear about what their first choice is for where they want to go to school, we have linkage agreements with about a dozen schools. And this is sort of like early admission for medical school. You apply um, to one school, you to your linkage school while you're still doing coursework um, and so that you're eligible to matriculate with no break. You know, you finish your post post-bacc studies in May and you begin medical school in August if you're accepted to the linkage program.
0: That would seem to me to be the kind of the, a win-win situation. What are the majority of your students doing that or no?
1: No, um, it's always a minority. It's a more difficult way to get into medical school because you're taking your MCATs early. You're going through the application process while you're still in coursework, many students are not willing to commit themselves to just a single institution. Um, you know, they want to apply a little bit more broadly and, and see what happens. But for the students who for whom it's right, it's really right. You know, it's one of those things that's very that's quite self-selecting, and we have a range of institutions that we have agreements with, so that you know students really have a nice choice. Okay. Um, you know, We students, well, we're going through the linkage process now, so it's all very fresh with me, but we have linkage agreements with Brown, with Columbia School of Physicians and Surgeons, with Cornell, um, and we have a recently uh, incarnated agreement with um, Columbia's Dental School because we do have pre-dental students as well. So that's a nice option um, for the right student.
0: Okay. Along with dental students, do you have any other pre-health?
1: Yes, we do. We have... Um, Small but sturdy numbers of students who um, are interested in doing osteopathic medicine, who are interested in veterinary medicine, um, students sometimes who want to go into PA programs, um, physical therapy, occupational therapy. You know, again, the numbers are extremely small, but uh, they are part of our pre health community.
0: You had just mentioned osteopathic. You guys, Do you guys differentiate between students that want allopathic versus osteopathic?
1: Um, we don't differentiate, but we are prepared to advise students who are interested in either or both. Okay.
0: And you, you have students coming in saying, I want to be a, a DO. I want to be an not osteopathic not, doctor. Not.
1: They come in and they say that the philosophy of um, osteopathy is more to their liking than allopathic practice. Okay. We're open to that.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And we have
1: medical school fair once a year that's sponsored by our um, student association, the pre-medical association, uh, that where we bring a whole range of schools um, in to meet with the students. This year, we're going to have, I think, upwards of 50 schools represented. Um, and it's a nice opportunity for the students who aren't sure, you know, what track they're on or exactly what they want to do to meet a lot of people and get information about a lot of different schools um, and consider their options.
0: Yeah. Very good. So then the application process is complete and I'm assuming you have some interview advising and all that fun yes. mock interviews. and.
1: We do mock interviews, and we are also uh, we also have a, a workshop called Mastering the Art of the Medical School Interview that's very popular with the students. And we are also beginning to prepare the students specifically for the MMI format, the multiple mini-interview, as we see that begin to grow in popularity among medical schools.
0: Yeah, and there's a reason it's growing in popularity. There's some research that shows that it, it actually selects a better applicant. Um, have you seen that research?
1: I have, I have.
0: You, Uh, you disagree with it? I'm
1: not going to wade into that controversy, (laughs) but let's just say that the medical schools are doing it. We're going to make sure our students are ready.
0: Okay. What?
1: Uh, And and I'm looking forward to doing the mock interviews for the multiple mini interviews. I think that's going to be great fun.
0: Yeah, and and for people that don't know what the multiple mini interview is, it's like kind of like speed dating.
1: Yes, exactly. Speed dating for pre medical students. Yes, have you know, a whole bunch of different scenarios and a whole bunch of different interviewers and a few minutes to answer, you know, each question that's thrown at you.
0: Yeah, I think it's great. It's just like being on rounds.
1: <laughs> <laughs> did you did you go through multiple mini interviews? I did not. OK, OK. I,
0: luckily, I don't know how I'd handle it.
1: <laughs> we get you ready.
0: Yeah. So I'm assuming there there is a large percentage, if not 100 percent of your graduates get into medical school somewhere, sometime. The vast majority, yes, absolutely. Okay. I want to... Because
1: they're wonderful, wonderful students. They are, you know, the best and brightest of the, you know, the, the pre-medical community. And medical schools are very open to it.
0: Yeah. And that brings me to what I want to ask. The students that you're getting, what are you looking for in, in the applicants to Columbia's postback program? <sighs>
1: Hmm. Well, um, obviously, they need to have strong academic credentials. You know, the average GPA of our students coming in is around, uh, you know, 3.6, 3.7. You know, they have very high SAT scores. But more than that, you know, postback students, they have great stories, you know, and I always look forward to meeting the new students every year, because um, their journeys to get to this point where they're ready to, you know, devote themselves to pursuing a career in healthcare, they're always very, very compelling to hear. I mean, I had an amazing, amazing student last year who um, grew up in Malaysia and her family didn't have a lot of money. And um, she had the opportunity to be educated at a very, very rigorous school um, outside her country um, and was in a Position to really start earning some income. Um, and she went into business and made some money and bought her parents a house and put her younger sister through college and then said, you know what? I don't really have a passion for business. What I love is medicine. I've spent these years helping my family and now it's my turn. And she came back to start her pre-medical education at Columbia uh, and she did linkage and went on to medical school, you know? So it's these incredible, incredible stories that you hear about how people get to this point, um, that, I, that make me so excited to greet every year's incoming class.
0: Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. (laughs) Um,
1: I have a student, another wonderful student last year who, um, after the, 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 the natural disaster in Haiti, um, made a trip down there to see what was going on and found himself so drawn into trying to help people that, you know, on his own dime, he started making monthly trips to Haiti um, in order to volunteer and help out with the uh, um, repair efforts. And that led him to finally decide the way he could help the most was to become a doctor. Uh, and so he applied to start here. Wow. That's phenomenal. I mean, yeah. you have to have so much respect <laughs> for our students. They're wonderful.
0: It sounds like it. Uh one final question before we end and I I thank you again for sharing all this wonderful information.
1: Oh, it's my pleasure.
0: If if you had a general advice for any premed out there, not just a non-traditional uh, going through post back, but kind of any premed since you are a premed advisor, what what's kind of a, a number one thing you would recommend for somebody?
1: Oh, my goodness. Well, I do think it's very hard to give generic advice. I mean, you know, the reason that we put so much resources into advising in our program is that all students are different and they have very different needs and they need to hear different things at different times. But I mean, I guess if I had to say one thing that was just generic, I would say, you know, I know there are times in pre-medical education where what you're learning feels very disconnected from the future that you imagine for yourself as a medical provider. And that is why I think it is very important to um, find a way to spend time in clinical settings, whether that's through shadowing doctors or, you know, volunteering on the wards at your local hospital. But um, to just to get yourself out into the world of healthcare and use that as the engine to kind of drive you through your studies.
0: I like that advice. <laughs> I, I I struggle with that myself, even in medical school really sitting there learning biochemistry right and right. and going uh i just left the anatomy lab that's much more important than this right <laughs> so i think that's great advice
1: you have to make that connection for yourself i think to yeah. keep your keep your spirits up
0: yeah one one quick question that just popped yep. into my mind the breakdown between systems based learning Versus more of a traditional curriculum in medical schools. do you guys cover that at all and do you offer advice to students?
1: Um, I would say that are that you know so many of the medical schools have either gone through an aggressive phase of curriculum reform, um, whether it's through systems based learning or through trying to integrate um, you know clinical experience in early phases or whether it's by bringing, a major research project into the traditional medical school curriculum. And I think um, students have to find the program that's right for them. You know, they have to, they'll they'll be reading about different programs on the web or investigating resources and something will click with them. And they'll say, you know, that's where I can really imagine myself. You know, like, I don't think I'm in a position to say, well, this is the one best way to educate medical students. Mm -hmm. I don't know if there is a one best way, but I think it's a very exciting time in medical education in the United States because I really feel that you know schools are putting so much energy into thinking about how they prepare future physicians and that seems to me a very good thing.
0: Well folks that was Dr. Rosner. I truly think that if you are a non-traditional student looking for a structured post-baccalaureate program, Columbia's where you want to go. I think From the interview, you can tell that the faculty at Columbia truly cares about all of their students and takes great pleasure in seeing them through the program and seeing them get into medical school. It sounds like an amazing uh, environment to be in. So I uh, thank Dr. Rosner for taking the time to Give you, the listener, some great information about Columbia, the program, but just post back programs in general. I think there's a, a lot of great information in that interview if, if you're not going to Columbia. As always, if you have any questions for us here at Medical School HQ, you can give us a call on our voicemail feedback line, 617-410-6747 record your question and we can play it here on the podcast and give you an answer so everybody can hear it. I hope the information provided today will help better guide you on your path to becoming a physician. Make sure to join us next time here at the medical school headquarters.